Hello, and welcome to the Agape House of Worship weekly podcast. Through this podcast, we hope and pray that you will be equipped and empowered to live the life that God has planned for you. If you are blessed by this message and would like more information, please visit our website at www.agapehousenj.org. Thank you and God bless. There was an explosion in Lebanon, in Beirut, which is the capital of Lebanon. Uh, almost 200 people killed, uh, 6,000 people injured, uh, property damage, 10 to $15 billion. Uh, you know, that's so many lives uh, changed negatively. There's a lot of believers affected. As a matter of fact, we as a church actually, uh, we have donated to uh, some of our friendly churches uh, who are in Lebanon. Uh, but I want us to do more than that, just but to pray. And I want all of us to lift up our hands and just say a prayer for the nation of Lebanon. So, Father, in Jesus' name, you are the God of all comfort. Uh, even in the midst of ch- trial, challenges, tribulation, and darkness, you, our God, you can still shine. So, Father, we invite you now into Lebanon, into Beirut. We pray for comfort for people who have lost their family, their loved ones. We pray restoration for people who have lost their things, their properties. A lot of churches damaged in that area. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you will give hope. Even in the midst of hopelessness, there will be an infusion, an injection of hope. Father, we pray, Lord, there will be accountability. I pray there will be accountability. We pray for Lebanon uh, leadership, uh, many of whom resigned even after the incidents because they recognized this was their failure. But Lord, we pray you will raise a new as uh, a new leadership, you know, that would do what is right by the people, a new leadership that would not be riddled by corruption, a new leadership that will stand up and do what is right in the mighty name of Jesus. We pray for revival in Lebanon. We pray for the move of the Spirit in Lebanon. We pray for restoration in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to welcome everyone to God's presence. And I pray uh, you are blessed tremendously uh, by this service. What a wonderful time of worship. Wow. I mean, that, it was, I mean, there was just a palpable presence of God. And I believe those of us from home, you can feel it too, because God is doing an amazing thing here, and I believe he's touching you wherever you are. Amen. If you're watching from home, you have an advantage that we don't have. You can continue to invite people. You can continue to share. Please, I want you to seize that advantage and, you know, bring people in. Share it if you're on Facebook. Make sure you share it. Uh, Start a watch party. Uh, Tell your friends. The message is about to start, 
all right? Even if you're on YouTube, you can obviously easily uh, uh, copy this and send it to as many people as you can and let them know it's time for the Word of God. How many of us are ready to hear the Word this morning? You ready? Amen. You're ready to hear the Word, and I believe God has a Word for you. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray you will speak your Word this morning with power. You will speak your Word this morning with grace. You will speak your Word this morning with revelation, with understanding, I pray that our hearts will be open and we will receive what you have for us. The Bible says, receive the engrafted word that is able to save your soul. I pray that I will not speak this morning just with mere words, but I will speak with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. I pray that your word will come and change and transform. Your word will bring healing. Your your word will bring hope to the hopeless. And your word will, you know, take us further towards our dream and purpose in life. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Amen. I have a few, I mean, two of our ministers uh, receive words of knowledge. this is from Pastor B. Blood transfusion is taking place, I believe. God is giving someone new blood. Uh, the individual is wearing a gray top. So if you're wearing a gray top, uh, that word is more specific to you. Uh, God is doing wonderful thing here. All right. And I believe we have another one from one of our ministers watching online, uh, Deaconess Genevieve. I see the Lord touching wombs. He is removing fibroids so that the womb can conceive. Uh, so there's someone who is having challenges con- uh, conceiving uh, because of fibroid. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we just ask. The Bible says your word will not come back to you void. So I pray for that individual with fibroids. I pray that the fire of the Holy Spirit uh, will just come, will be released inside their womb and consume and remove and shrink the fibroids in the mighty name of Jesus. And we pray for a supernatural blood transfusion for this individual. We pray for a new blood. We ask for a miracle. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen and amen. And the people of God say, amen. We believe it, we receive it, and it is so. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I'm going to go straight into the word because of time. Today, we're going to do part eight of our message, Here Comes the Dreamer. Uh, message series about the life of Joseph. We're going to do part eight, uh, and I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. I'm actually going to read about three passages back to back to kick off the message. The title today is Balance. I'm going to talk about the power of balance. Uh, there's something about Joseph 
that I believe we all as Christians, modern-day Christians, need to emulate is a balance of there's a, such a balance about his life that I believe that we God is trying to teach us. Uh, but we're going to start with First Corinthians chapter one verse twenty-four. Uh, if you are watching or you are here with me, it should be displayed on the screen, and I want all of us to read that verse together. One, two, go. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So he's saying to all of us, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. I believe God is communicating here the balance of God, right? The balance of God. When you hear the power, obviously the power of God brings salvation, brings miracles, brings healing, but also the wisdom of God has generally has to do with how we live, right? The Bible talks about living in wisdom. So the Bible is saying Jesus didn't come just to save, right? He comes also to teach us how to live. Jesus is balanced in that way, right? Uh, believers are not just people who are saved, set free, delivered from their sin. Believers are equipped with the wisdom of God to live our life here. Hallelujah. Second Peter chapter 1, uh, I will read verse 3 and 4. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 says, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who call us by glory um, virtue. I'm going to stop there. I'm just going to read verse 3. So he's saying here again, you know, God's divine power as believers has given us all things that pertain to life. That is our life, how we live. All right? And all things that pertain to godliness. You see, there are two aspects of our life, godly and life, right? Living godly and living wisely, all right? The Bible says God's power is to help us to live a balanced life in such a way that we live a life that is worthy of him, worthy of his honor, worthy of his glory, but also we live a life that is godly. Praise the name of Jesus. That balance is so necessary, and that balance I find in the life of Joseph. Joseph, by all accounts, was a very godly man, but he was also a very wise man, all right? Joseph was a man that could back, he understood the intersection of, you know, of faith and life. Because I find out a lot of times believers can be very imbalanced in the way we live. There are so many believers who are very godly people, and I know so many godly spiritual people who haven't learned how to translate their godliness into how they live, into how they manage their money, how to manage their career, how to manage their relationship. You know, there is such a chaotic thing about their life, even though they are very godly people. It reminds me of the prophets in the Bible that died and left his wife a debt, so much debt that they had to come and 
arrest his children. I mean, a prophet obviously was a godly man, but he was not a very wise man. He had a, he, he, he was not a good manager, all right? He didn't manage his house well. He didn't manage his money well. So he died and his wife needed a miracle, all right? Thank God for miracle, but I don't want to leave my wife to depend on a miracle if God takes me home, Amen. So as believers, we need a balance. We must be godly. We also must be wise. But sometimes you see believers also who pride themselves of being wise, being successful, being professional, who despise godliness, who even run away from going deep with God. And I'm sure I'm talking to a few people like that. You know, so... The Bible is teaching us here, we must understand their balance. In Hosea chapter eight, 7, verse 8, Hosea chapter 7, verse 8, the Bible describes Ephraim, you know, as an unturned cake, right? You know, when you fry a cake and you refuse to or you forget to turn it, what happens? One side is overdone, one side is undone. All right, and it's, nobody wants to eat an unturned cake, right? An unturned cake is not nice. The, the beauty of frying is that you turn them adequately, right? So the thing, whether it's baking, whether it's frying, is, is balanced. There's a balance there. Believers should not be unturned cake. Unfortunately, many believers are like unturned cake. No balance. No, that is not the will of God for us. So it's very important for us as believers to know that, number one, being born again does not necessarily guarantee success in life. Right? But also, thank God that being born again does not take away from our creativity. Right? So being born again guarantees eternal life but it doesn't guarantee success in this life. It's very important for us to know that. Now, what being born again does is gives us access to the wisdom of God, right? Which we must pursue, which we must seek, which we must go for, right? It is very important for us to know that. Being born again does not guarantee success in life, all right? But it gives us access, which if we are willing to work hard, if you are willing to seek wisdom, if you are willing to pursue knowledge, that's why the Bible says my people perish because they lack knowledge. I mean, my people, how can God's people perish? Why? Because they lack knowledge. You see, and the Bible even continues to say, because you have rejected knowledge. It wasn't even because God did not make that knowledge available, right? I believe in Proverbs chapter 8 is the, is the chapter of wisdom. A proverb is the book of wisdom, but I love chapter 8. It was wisdom personified. And he said, wisdom is crying without. Wisdom is going to the street. And he said, come to me. That is God, you know, just trying to call us into wisdom, inviting us to learn from him. Jesus said, learn from me. Isn't that what he says? He said, come to me. 
or you were, who are weary and you are heavy laden, right? He said, I will give you rest. But how do you find rest? He said, learn from me. What have you learned from Jesus lately? What have you learned from Jesus lately? Believers must be people who are addicted to learning. To learning. Hallelujah. Yes, prayer moves mountain. But there are some things prayer won't move. It won't move money. Right? It takes wisdom. It takes creativity to be able to do that. All right? You can stay in the house all day and just command all the money and say, money comment in the name of Jesus. Money, I just command you to come here. I mean, God is looking at you and he's shaking his head. He said, wow, how dumb thou art. God is like, God, I can't even help this, my child. You know, so it's very important for us to know, you know, the key here, though, is to not abuse any of those two. To understand that, you know, you can't, you, you, you're not, you can't pursue one at the expense of the other. And that is what I find in the life of Joseph, that I'm praying that we learn in Jesus' name. So a child of God who want to fulfill their purpose must learn how to delicately navigate the intersection of the power of God and the wisdom of God. We learn how to balance that. We, we don't despise one for the other. And sometimes that's what happens. Now, as I was preparing for this, I just, it occurred to me that a lot of, that God has given us a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, uh, precedents, I would call it. So many people in the Bible that God used greatly were even people who would consider secular people, people who are like in, you know, in secular world. An example is Job. You see, Job was not necessarily a prophet, was not necessarily a man of God, you know, the way we would call man of God today, right? When we say somebody is a man of God, it means he's a bishop, he's an apostle, you know, he's a man of the cloth. You know, that's why some people call him. But, you know, that was not necessarily, you know, how God looks at things. Let's look at Job in Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1, we're going to read a few verses in Job chapter 1. Just look at the life of Job. Uh, Job chapter 1 from verse 1. In the land of Oz, there lived a man whose name was Job. Not Steve Job, but it's Job, right? Uh, but they have some things in common. This man was blameless and upright. Look at how he's described. He feared God and shunned evil. I mean, that was how his life. If you want to talk about his life, he was blameless. He was upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Verse 2, he had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. And had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man 
among all the people of, his, of the East. He was the richest man, the most prominent person. He was so rich. In today's language, uh, well, yes, maybe we would say he has, you know, uh, 500 tractor trailer or something like that. We would describe somebody like that who owns so many things. He was a businessman, right? But he was also called a righteous man. I, I think I, there's something to say about that. If you go to verse 6, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? You see, when we hear my servant today, we tend to think of a preacher, a prophet, an apostle. But this is a businessman who is also a servant of God. All right? So you'll be, you can be an executive in, on Wall Street and be a servant of God. You can be a real estate investor and still be a servant of God. You can be a doctor and be a servant of God. You can be a software engineer, an accountant. You can be someone who owns stores, grocery stores, and still be a servant of God. Praise the name of Jesus. That is something about God here. The word servant is not reserved to people who are in ministry, the way we like to call it today. And God said there's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright. A man who fears God and shuns evil. I bring this to say, you see, there's such a balance about the life of Job. All right, we always think those two don't go together. People who want to pursue money, who want to be businessmen, tend to run away from being too spiritual. It's as if somehow being too deep, being too spiritual, takes away from the ability to succeed in the marketplace. That's a lie from the devil. That's a lie from the enemy. We must reject that. Praise the name of Jesus. Let's look at Abraham, the father of faith. Abraham, the father of faith, really was an ordinary guy who was obviously a rich guy, a business guy, you know, you know who was doing well for himself. He wasn't a preacher man. He wasn't some prophet that is living on the backside of the desert. He wasn't some prophet, you know, that was eating locust and honey. No, he was a man that was living his life, doing well for himself. If you look to Genesis chapter 13, you see verse 2, Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. So he was an investor. A lot of Bitcoin. Right? He had a business, he had investment, right? Silver, gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made at first. He made an altar. Isn't that, isn't that something? He made an altar. He wasn't a prophet but he made an altar, all right? 
and there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. And he, you know, in, in, if you go to chapter 18 and verse 17, he was also called a friend of God. You know, the Bible says that when the Lord was going to destroy uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? I mean, that is how close he was to God. He found time to, to be, to spend time. You don't become a friend of God, you know, by doing your quiet time in the car on your way to work. And that's not how you become a friend of God. No. You don't become a friend of God by doing some five minutes prayer every day. No. You built an altar. I mean, you build something where you want to spend time, right? You build a, I mean, someone that say, I build an altar, want to spend time in the altar. So, you, you know, when we say you are praying in the spirit, you are, you know, you're spending time with God, it doesn't mean you want to be a preacher. It doesn't mean you want to go into ministry. It means you want to succeed in life, in whatever you want to do. Praise the name of Jesus. James 2 23 describes the life of Abraham and says, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. God's friend. And we can go on and on and look at David. We can go on and on and look at all these men. Let's look at Moses. Moses was a prince, right? who grew up in the palace, who became a prophet and a leader of the nation of Israel. But there's something I want us to learn from the life of Moses. Let's go to Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18. Uh, I'm going to go through a few verses there. Uh, It's a long passage. If you have time, it's actually better to read the whole passage and understand this very well. So Moses here was already leading the children of Israel. They were already in the wilderness. They were already going. And Jethro, I'm going to verse 1 now. Jethro, now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses. So Jethro was Moses' former boss, all right? Moses worked for Jethro for 40 years of his life. So Moses was a shepherd under Jethro. So Jethro was a businessman. He was a, you know, he was a priest. Usually the word priest can mean he was a great man, all right? He was highly respected man. He was a prince. He was highly respected. He was a great man. And he had so many shepherds. He was a rancher. So he had so many shepherds walking under him. And Moses went and got a job with him when he ran away from Egypt, all right? So Moses worked for him for a very, very long time until God called Moses. Now Moses obviously married one of his daughters, uh, which is interesting, marrying your boss's daughter. Uh, but somehow uh, Moses was able to pull it off, uh, married uh, Zipporah, who was, uh, so his boss became his father-in-law. And his boss decided, you know what, let me go and hear. I've been hearing so much about Moses. I've been hearing so much about, you know, what God did through Moses to confront Pharaoh, to take the children of Israel out of Egypt. So Jethro came 
and met Moses. Let's go to verse 5. So Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' son and wife, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped near the mountain of God. So Jethro had sent his word to him uh, that he was coming. Uh, So verse 7, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardship they had met along the way and how the Lord has saved him. So Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord has done. Verse 10, he said, praise be to God who rescue you. So everything went well. Everything went well. So verse 13, the next day, so they slept there. Obviously, they stayed, stayed with them. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as a judge for the people. And they stood around for him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? So, you know, the next day from morning, Moses got to his office and people started trooping. There was a long line, everybody coming for counseling. You know, the guy who just had a quarrel with his wife, the guy whose neighbor was having him, him as in his neighbor couldn't get along. Everybody, there was a long line. Moses was settling the cases for them. And he did that all day until evening, from morning till evening. So the guy said, the guy started watching Moses and said, wow, this doesn't make sense. Remember, Jethro was a businessman. So he knew a few things about how to run, how to lead people, how to prioritize your time as a leader. He knows a few things about leadership. So he said, you know, you know, so Moses said, do I have a choice? Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me. I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decree and instruction. I'm the only person they have. You know, whenever they are fighting, they come to me. And look at verse 17, Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. <laughs> Hearing that from your father-in-law, that's, that's huge. What you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you, we only wear yourself out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen to me. Listen now. And I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their dispute to him. Teach them his decrees and instruction. Show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people. Men who fear God, trustworthy, men who hate dishonest gain. And he gave him all, gave him all this advice, you know. And he said in verse, uh, you know, verse 22, have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, right? The simple cases, they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Wow. But I admire Moses because 
It's very difficult for people who are close to God to listen to instruction for people who are just unbelievers. I mean, if I, were, if I was Moses, I would have asked him, have you seen the face of God before? Have you ever fasted 40 days and 40 nights? And Jethro said, no. Okay, when you do that, come and, come and give me some advice. Moses was a humble man. And he knew he was talking to a seasoned businessman, a seasoned leader. Uh, Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. And, and it, that was a beautiful story. That was such a beautiful story. You know, so I come to a conclusion that there are some things God teaches you on the mountain. There are some things you must learn from Jethro. I mean, if you really think about it, why didn't, get to, why didn't God tell Moses all that? I mean, he's been visiting God. He's been, I mean, he's been there. The Lord dictated the old Ten Commandments to this guy, right? Twice. He brought it up and he gave it to them. I mean, he actually prayed and asked God, I want to see your face. And God said, well, you can't see my face and leave, but are you going to see my behind? I mean, he came back and really the glory of the Lord was so much on his face, people could not even behold his face. That was such a great, I mean, even when some people challenge Moses, uh, some of these other smaller prophets, you know, would think they know, God said, look, I mean, you don't even have a clue what you're talking about. If there is a prophet in Israel, I speak to them in dreams and visions. I mean, but Moses is different. I speak to Moses face to face. So God still did not tell him he was going to die early if he continued to do all this job. That's what will have happened. He will have worn himself out. He will have maybe had a heart attack. He will have been exhaustion. Whatever will have happened to him. Uh, but the Lord used Jethro, right? So there are some things we learn from Sunday school, right? But there are some things we learn from business school, right? Right? I mean, there are some things we learn. So children of God must be balanced. This is what ensure Moses was, you know, his longevity as a leader. That's how Moses succeeded from that time on. So basically he told him, get ministers, get ministry leaders, organize, you know, division of labor, spend time to teach the leaders, and leaders will teach the people. You know, easier cases they will be able to deal with, then the only case or cases that will come to you will be cases they are not able to, to deal with. That way you are raising leaders and you're, you're multiplying yourself, and you're making the job easier for yourself. I think we need to start a school called Jethronomic or something like that. School of Jethro. Hallelujah. Leadership. Hallelujah. So that is really amazing to me. Uh, there are some things you must... So this is balance. This is balance that we must pursue as leaders. As you invest in prayer... As Christians, we must also invest in ideas, right? You know, and God is in both. And that's one thing we need to know. God is in both. That's why the Bible describes Jesus 
in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Balance, growth. He grew physically. He grew mentally, right? Cognitively. He grew in wisdom. He became wiser. And he grew in favor with God. His relationship with God grew. But also his relationship with people grew. I mean, some of you need to go and learn how to relate with people. You're always fighting your friends. You can't keep a friend for... I mean, by the time we look at your history, you've jumped from, oh, no, this is not nice. This is not the best. This is not this. This doesn't understand me. This doesn't. You have a problem. You have a problem. Every job you've been, you've, I mean, half of them, you've been fired. There is a problem. And it's their fault all the time. It's their fault. It's because they never did. Some of you lack time management. But you blame somebody else. They must understand me. You know, they, need, they just don't get how I work. Everybody must get how you work. What are you getting about other people? You see, sometimes we need to see some of these things. I mean, and God is like, you better go and learn. You know, and that's what God did to Moses. You better go and learn. You need to learn some things from other people. You need to be humble enough. There are some things you read in leadership book. That's one of the reasons I study about leadership. I attend leadership conferences. Because there are some things you learn from some other people who God has given the wisdom to. So it's very important. So we're going to wrap up today by looking at the life of Joseph. What are four lessons we can learn about balance? Now that we've done a good introduction to the message, let's now go into the message. Hallelujah. Are you being blessed? Amen. So I look at Joseph, I see a man that knows his God. That's one thing I love about him. He knows God. You see, we must all know God. You know, don't think, oh, this knowing God, this going deeper is for pastor and his minister. No, you, you are wrong. In fact, you are deceived. You are deceived. The enemy has deceived you. You know, he has even done that deceiving. He has bewitched you, you know, to convince you to believe what is wrong. You know, no. You know, in fact, the Bible says in Daniel 11, 32, the people that know their God, right, they shall be strong and carry out great exploits. You have no choice than to seek to know God. You have no choice. Don't think it's for some people. No, don't think it's for some spiritual people. Please, don't be deceived. Joseph, I see a man that knows God. Right? The Lord was with him because God is not going to be with somebody that doesn't know him. In Genesis 39, verse 2 and 3, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord, even his master saw that the Lord is with him. I mean, they know that this is, this is a man that doesn't play with God. Do you get my point? It's not. You know, his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success. Even the master can see that there's something about this guy. There's such an aura. There's such a presence. There's such a glory. There's something. When you show up at your job 
or at your business, they must see that there's such a, there's such a glow about you. I mean, if you get angry all the time, they know that they're not, you know, if you're always angry, I mean, that's, there's no glow. There's no glow in an angry person. Somebody who is always fighting, who is always having whatever with people. No, there's such a gentle attitude. There's such a presence. There's a demeanor. There's something about you, not because you are fighting people all the time or you are preaching to everybody, but there's something about Joseph. Even in, when, when he was tempted in, in verse 9, what did he say? He said, how can I do this wicked thing and sin against God? You see, even when no one was there, God's opinion was very important to him. Did you get my point? Even when no one is there. You know, when we're not physically in church, what do you do outside of here? How do you live? Do you consult God? Do you, does God's opinion, is he important to you or people's opinion? You see, people who know God know that the most important opinion I need is that of God, not that of Facebook, Instagram, not people will like. People can like all your like. God may not like it. I wish there is an unlike button on Facebook, but there are some things you want to tell people, I don't like this. Right? All right? So it's just a problem. I mean, we need to... So the fact that people like it doesn't mean God likes it. The fact that it works doesn't mean it works for God. But only people who know God. I want to challenge you to know God. Joseph, in Joseph, we see a man that knows God. Number two, in Joseph, we see a man who is able to translate, watch me, his knowledge of God into the marketplace. I think that's the balance. All right? That's the balance. He's able to translate that because it's not easy to translate that. It takes a lot of wisdom. You know, we can act crazy in church and speak in tongues and, and roll on the floor and do all those things. You know, if we are not able to translate that into our home, into our businesses, into our job, what is the use of that? It's of no use. Joseph was able to translate the knowledge of God, Right? So his master saw that the Lord was with him in Genesis 39 verse 3 and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Joseph found favor in his sight. Uh, Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. I mean, he was able to translate it. Your spirituality must be translatable into the marketplace. And the question we as believers must ask is, how do I translate God into this situation? You know, there is no dichotomy with God. God is everywhere. God is God everywhere. Did you get that? Is God both at church? Is God when you get to your job? Is still God there? You know that, right? It's God there. Is God when you get home? Is God even in prison? Is God? I mean, and Joseph was able to bring God and translate him into all those arenas. That's a wise person. I mean, that's, a, that's balance. That is not just power. That is wisdom. He was able to go into Potiphar's house and, and, and bring God there. He went to prison. He, bring, he brought God there. 
Hallelujah. I mean, we are the ones that don't know how to translate. I mean, if you read the Bible, some things will shock you. How do you explain, you know, God using Esther? I mean, today we'll probably have a lot of problems with Esther. Right? I mean, there'll be a lot of bad articles written about Esther. You say, I mean, if, it's, if, it's, if she's a believer, why would she be contesting for beauty pageants? I mean, I mean, we have a lot of problem with that, but God found its way. You know, no matter where you find yourself, God can operate there. He can undo that. He can. You just have to say, God, give me wisdom. I mean, you might walk into a place where everybody is effing each other every day. I mean, God can undo all that. You know, God doesn't run away from F word. No, he turns the F word into a better F word. Hallelujah. Yeah, how about you can turn it into favor. I mean, if you're a child of God, you're there. You don't need to run away from there. You bring God into that place. You know, the Bible talks about if, if a person is married to an unbelieving spouse, he said you sanctify that house. I mean, you bring sanctification. I mean, by the way you live, right? By your lifestyle, you bring salvation into that house. You don't run away from it. Praise the name of Jesus. David said, where do I go from you, your spirit? Where can I feel it from your presence? If I ascend into the heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the hell, you're there. Hallelujah. If I take the wings of the money and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Hallelujah. And your right hand shall behold me. God can handle whether you're in Hollywood, whether you're in Broadway or Main Street, whether you're running a pizza shop, whether whatever, God can be brought into everywhere. That is what we learned from, uh, from Joseph. He brought God everywhere he went. Number three, in Joseph, we see someone that can apply his spiritual gift everywhere he finds himself. You know, sometimes we think spiritual gift is when we're in church. No. The spiritual gift can be taken everywhere. I mean, God can give you visions. I mean, we saw a lot of that, some of that, and I hope it doesn't end there during the height of the pandemic, right? Where, you know, one of our sisters was even... You know, people were saying, it is your God that saved us here. All right? We saw a lot of, you know, people, you know, who, who were able to bring, you know, their faith into the workplace, the gift of the Spirit. Joseph was able to know how to do that. All right? He knows how to, he brought all that. The expression of God can be brought everywhere. So he brought the expression of God into even his workplace. He brought the expression of God, even in a dark place like prison. He brought the expression of God. Praise the name of Jesus. So it's important. That's what we see in Joseph. He, he was able to apply his spiritual gift everywhere he finds himself. God can begin to give you words about your coworker, about your employee, about your employer. You know, even his boss knew. I remember when you know, I used to work in the World Trade Center. Before 9-11, I was working on the 72nd floor, and my boss, we would talk, we'd have conversation, and, you know, and, you know, obviously got to know in the process of time that I was a strong believer, and he would ask me questions. It's hard to preach directly to your boss, but he would ask me questions. He would ask, why this, why this, and we would talk, we explained to him. Then 9-11 happened. 
you know, and, you know, we were all in the office. Everybody found their way out. Now, he was working there. His wife was also working in the same building for a different company. So he got out, and we, after we all met, you know, we all got out, praise God. We all, we all, you know, got saved. And we were having a conversation, and he said, when he, this is his story. He came out, came on the street, and he just couldn't find his wife. He made it, and he was calling his wife. Phones were not working. He was calling his wife. He couldn't, and he told me, Gide, then I remember you. And I went on my knees, and I just prayed to God, God, please save my wife. I mean, eventually, thank God, God saved his wife. But you know, isn't that amazing? He said, then I just remember you. I mean, I'm sure he said, God of GD, please. I know I, I don't deserve it, but I have an employee and I've been nice to him. You know, we can bring God everywhere. It doesn't have to be religious. I think we just have to learn a new language. We have to, the language of care. Joseph cared for his fellow prisoners. He cared for them. He cared about their well-being. He looked at their face. He knew when they were not all right. That's how we bring God. I mean, we don't go there and be speaking in tongues, rolling on the floor and lay hands on people and do crazy stuff. We can understand that they can't. But that does not limit God. God is not in the middle of speaking in tongues, rolling on the floor alone. God is everywhere. Hallelujah. We just have to ask him, how do we translate you here? And, if, and that takes wisdom. And Joseph was that man. Lastly, I'm sorry I took your time. I hope you're... In Joseph, we see someone that balances the gift of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. You know, the gift of the Spirit is, you know, highlighted everywhere in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 7, or 4 to 10. Uh, Romans chapter 8. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. We see all kinds of places. But we also have fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 2, 2 to 23. And many other places these are listed. You know, sometimes we take the gift, we don't take the fruit. And without the fruit, gift can stink. People don't like people with gift. We don't have compassion. We don't have love. We don't have goodness. We don't have kindness. We are not gentle. We, are, we lack self-control. People don't, that, that can't work. And that's one thing about Joseph. He, he combines that. He was such a great guy. He was a great guy that his boss trust. Fruit of the Spirit. He was gentle. He was kind. But he was also a man of gift. Balance is the key to fulfilling our dream. Let's bow down our heads and pray. So, Father, we just thank you. Lord, help us to be like Joseph. Help us to be people who understand the balance of your power and of your wisdom. Because we know our ability to fulfill our dream depends on that. And I pray for everyone here who have heard me. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray you will translate this message to them. You know, everyone is in a different circumstance. 
Some are employers, some are employees, some are independent contractors, some are business owners, some are executives, some are medical doctors, nurses, accountants, some are students, uh, some are kids. My Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, will help them to translate this message into their environment, into the place you have called them, so that like Joseph, we can bring you into those environments. In the mighty name of Jesus, we can bring your glory and honor in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. If you are watching me, you haven't given your life to Jesus, I want you to please make a decision to do that today. Even if you're here, you want to give your life to Jesus, I'd like to pray with you. And I'd like you to pray a simple prayer with me. Jesus, I thank you because you love me. You died for me so that I can be saved. I also thank you because you have wisdom for me to live a life that you have called me to live. Today, I invite you into my life. Please make me a child of God. Wash me from my sin and write my name in the book of life. Thank you in Jesus' name. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord keep you in all your ways. May the Lord surround you with favor. May the Lord surround you with his glory. In the mighty name of Jesus, the Lord will keep you. The Lord will protect you. The Lord will be with you. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. If you, if you made a decision, please follow the, uh, the prompting on the screen. And may the Lord bless you. Amen.